what's up everybody welcome to game or not monthly and this is the first episode of game or not monthly so what exactly are we going to be doing every month i'm going to be looking at the top four news stories in the gaming world of that month and talking about my own personal perspective on what happened and what's going to happen because of those news stories if you want to get in touch after listening you can check us out by going to gameornaught.wordpress.com we're on twitter at gameornaught we're on facebook search game or not you'll find us on twitch.tv slash game or not we're on youtube and you can also email us directly game or not at gmail.com because this is the first podcast the first episode and because it's at the start of 2018 not a lot has really happened yet but i thought it was a great opportunity to look back at 2017 which was a massive year in gaming not only in terms of console releases, but games and, let's be honest, scandals. So let's jump straight in and have a look at top story number one of 2017. And that top story is the Nintendo Switch. Now let's just look at some numbers for the Nintendo Switch. As of December 12th last year, according to Polygon, the Nintendo Switch had sold 10 million units. Now compare that to the Wii U, the previous console, which sold 13.5 million units to date. So the Nintendo Switch has, in a matter of months, almost sold as many consoles as the Wii U. And I think we have to always think about where the Switch came from and what it had to go through so when it was released don't forget there weren't enough nintendo switches to meet demand people were queuing for hours just on the off chance that there might be a nintendo switch somewhere and so although the nintendo switch has sold 10 million units it could have sold so many more if that supply had been there and i think we also have to remember the fact that before the switch came out there was a lot of cynicism from the general consumer we'd been burnt by the wii u it had shown so much promise and so many great ideas but then nintendo didn't work with anybody they didn't work with third party studios and the the Wii U just didn't get the support that it needed. And so when the Switch was announced, I think it was a reasonable thing that people were wary of a Nintendo console. The Wii had been such a massive success, the Wii U such a disappointment. I think people were approaching it with a certain level of tempered expectations. And I was one of those people. I definitely looked at Nintendo Switch thinking, well, what mistake is there going to be? What's going to be wrong with it? It's not going to work like it does in the adverts. You're not going to be able just to pick it up and take it away and carry on playing games like Zelda and Mario. That's absurd. It won't be able to do that. And I was so so wrong i've got a nintendo switch now i saved up i sold things i needed one after seeing how amazing it was and it really is just an incredible console definitely one of the the best releases of a console to my memory i mean let's talk about breath of the wild it outsold nintendo switch originally people were buying the game before they could get the switch this is how much of an impact switch had last year on sales and on the market people were buying games before they could buy the console that's how big it was that's how much of an impact it was having it was such a massive surprise that it did so well i don't think anybody really except for maybe nintendo fans were expecting it sony definitely weren't microsoft definitely weren't they were almost definitely looking at the Nintendo Switch as that alternative console. It's that console you might have plus a PlayStation or plus an Xbox. 
Whereas actually, I think if the Nintendo Switch can continue to get the support that it's getting from indies and from third party and from first party studios, the Switch could easily be your primary console. I know a lot of people that pretty much haven't touched their Playstations or their Xboxes since they got a Switch. And I think a big part of that is the third party support. Games like Skyrim being announced and then coming out and doing so well. Yes, people accept the fact that it's not got PC quality graphics, but the graphics are still great. It still looks beautiful. It still runs really well. And having that option to take games like Breath of the Wild, like Mario, like Skyrim, like Mario Kart, all the amazing indies, being able to just pick that up, take it away with you, and carry on playing wherever you are, it really is just an incredible. And the fact that it works as well, the fact it works makes such a big difference. I think it's important to think about the fact that it works so well is such a big positive it really does make a massive difference this console nintendo switch could have been okay it could have been an okay idea and it could have been done to an okay level and i think that's what everyone was expecting for it to work as well as it does it really is phenomenal and if you haven't played the switch and if you haven't had a go and you haven't tested it you really owe it to yourself to go out and find one and to go out and check it out and to try it because it does exactly what they said it was going to do it's a console which you can take with you anywhere just a few years ago i couldn't even imagine the idea of taking a zelda or a mario a full size game with me on the bus or on the train or if i was a passenger and yet now i do it all the time i do it regularly i'm taking it with me i'll carry it with me i'll just oh i've got five minutes quickly wake the console up and have a go handheld mode while i'm sitting on the bus and i'll do a couple of levels or i'll do a map or i'll do a race on mario kart or i'll do a little achievement somewhere it really just is astonishing and the numbers back that up nintendo have already said that they're going to up production on the console because they're still not meeting the demand and i think if we're talking about 2017 we have to talk about how amazing the nintendo switch was as a console as an idea and the pure sales side of things nintendo switch definitely the console of 2017 and if nintendo switch was the console of 2017 then let's move on to news story number two and that's the fact that indie gaming really stepped up to the plate in 2017 it really became not just the alternative to the big AAA games but actually indie games really really competed with the massive studio productions and in a way it reminds me a little bit of the way cinema shifted early this century where little films smaller films actually started to get an audience and that audience became more vocal and more and more people started going to those smaller films and not just looking for the bombastic massive productions and i think the way they did it and i think the way that indie games have changed themselves is that they stopped actually trying to compete i think there was a time where indie games were trying to fight against the big AAA studio game and instead in 2017 they realized actually we can be the tighter experience we can give people that experience they can't get in the big game the big game that's got to appeal to a mass audience we can appeal to a smaller amount of people and still achieve what we want to achieve which is tell a great story or to give a great experience and if you look at the indie games that really stand out from 2017 that is absolutely the case they're games where it's a tighter experience sometimes a smaller experience but not always some of the games are very long or they give you a real value for money and they really craft a narrative either 
through classic exposition methods or through environmental storytelling or through bits of diary they really craft a different narrative one that you just couldn't get in a big game and i think that the indie games what they really did in 2017 is they hit you hard they gave you something they gave you a message they told you something that really made a difference to you and got you thinking so i thought i'd take opportunity to highlight a couple of indie games that really stood out that really did that and, and why they're important and what difference they made to the indie scene so firstly i want to talk about what remains of edith finch an absolutely stunning game it's complicated it's complex it tells a story that you don't always expect you think you know what's going to be coming and then it doesn't really gives you this idea of character it really affects you it leaves you with something it's not massively long it still stands out as a game that makes a big difference i'm also thinking about games like hellblade senua's sacrifice when that came out it was all over the gaming news a story about psychology about your mind about how the brain works about how it deals with love and loss and pain and all the negative things in the world how our brain deals with that and along with that you had a beautiful looking game a fantastic main character a great story some wonderful gameplay gimmicks it didn't try to compete it didn't try to be bombastic it didn't try to be incredibly over the top it tried to give you that experience and in the end i think it was probably one of the most effective thriller games but then that's totally mislabeling it it was a real event in storytelling games like stories untold took a format that you think you knew and your expectations and really twisted them really changed them made it so the game counteracted what you thought it was going to do but i think one of the biggest games that stands out to me from the indie scene in 2017 was life is strange before the storm the follow-up to life is strange and there are lots of controversies surrounding it the voice actors and the, the strikes that were going on at the time take those away and life is strange before the storm is a story about teenagers and it's a story that there are some extremes in there but a story that I think everyone can at some point associate with and it's a game that just simply could not be told by a massive studio it's a game where you are left to tell your own story in a way in the choices that you make for the characters in the dialogue trees that you follow in the way that you solve the puzzles and how you interact with people it's a game that is really mature and that gives you that opportunity to tell your story the reason i want to point out life is strange before the storm as well as the other three games that i've talked about although there are so many other amazing games that could have been talked about on the indie scene the reason i've picked those is because they're games that show exactly what i mean when i'm comparing the gaming world to the cinema in that they they do something different they do something that simply could not be done by a larger studio they take risks yes there are, are some concessions to that it means that maybe sometimes the production quality isn't as high as a AAA game or the textures aren't as detailed but if you go into expecting that and knowing that and you don't go into expecting the explosions and the over-the-top action that perhaps you get in a big AAA game if you go in expecting that experience then they are by far some of the standout titles of 2017 they absolutely blow 
many of the big so-called AAA releases out of the water. They embarrass them. It's quite simple. A lot of the big publishers have to have a look at this indie scene and think, well, they're absolutely embarrassing us at the moment. We just can't compete. And you look at sales as well of these indie games. They're doing so well on consoles like the Switch, on PS4, on Xbox. They're all massively over-succeeding when they do something different. The indie games that don't succeed are the games that are trying still trying to compete with AAA. it simply can't be done they don't have that so in 2017 indie games evolved they became a new format a new style they realized that in order to get their message across they can be different they can be interesting they can be an evolution they can be the next step or even in some cases they can go backwards they can go retro they can change things they can mess with our expectations and so i think it's important to note that in 2017 indie games became a real competitor in the market not just because they were different but because they hit home emotionally and they told a story that we can't get from AAA games and they told a story that we wanted and to sort of put a summary on it I would say that indie games really defined the fact that video games are an art form and they should be respected and they should be treated like an art form like independent or smaller cinema or independent theatre they really took a step up and I hope in 2018 that the AAA game studios and publishers and developers take note of what indie games did in 2017. And on to news story number three of 2017. And that is taken from this story from whatculture.com, which was entitled 10 profitable 2017 video games that prove single player isn't dead. It was posted on the 21st of October last year, and it broke down the sales or the estimated sales of the top 10 single player based experiences of 2017. And I picked this story because I think at the start of 2017, there was a definite discussion and a real discussion that perhaps multiplayer experiences or at least games with multiplayer experiences were going to be the norm and this idea of games as a service was going to be the norm and I think a lot of people were worried that their single player experience was going to go away as things turned out that was absolutely not true at all and I wanted to have a look at these top 10 look at the sales and talk about why single player isn't going to go away anytime soon so firstly I want to look at Horizon Zero Dawn probably the PlayStation 4 game of the year for me it was their preemptive response really to breath of the wild their legend of zelda on the switch and it's fantastic it really is an incredible game huge world amazing quest good storyline fantastic gameplay and there's estimated budget according to whatculture.com in their article was 47 million dollars and as of october they estimated that its sales were at 210 million so nothing to sniff at there it's quadrupled its production budget massive critical darling um, probably the start of a new franchise or at least a new IP for PlayStation and for that ecosystem and and absolutely loved by anyone that played it so no in no ways but a single player dying out there next we got Persona 5 now budget 35 million sales about 108 million dollars so again big money cost big money but it's brought back in big money as well and persona 5 is an interesting one in that persona 4 and persona 4 golden had such a loved following such a cult following that i think persona 5 could have easily done pretty pretty well but actually 108 million is way more than i thought that it would probably get so 
again, this single-player only experience, really, doing fantastically. A couple of smaller games now, Cuphead, the difficult sort of side-scrolling shooter based on some 1930s cartoons in terms of its graphics. Very niche, I suppose you might argue. Sales around $17 million. That's incredible for a game, such a small game, produced by such a small and, and sort of new studio. Incredible, 70 million. Single player experience, you can play two player local co-op, but single player is definitely the intention there. Hellblade, send you a sacrifice, sales around 12 million. I already talked about that in the Indies section and how, you know, such a wonderful game with AAA qualities to it has done so well. And single player again, Pyre, with its sort of NBA Jam weird sort of style of combat and gameplay, sold around $4 million worth. Going back to quite early on last year, Neo, the Dark Souls style samurai Japanese themed game, uh, sold around $60 million worth. Uncharted Lost Legacy sold around $31 million worth. Here's a couple of the big ones now. Resident Evil 7 sold, estimated according to whatculture.com, $500 million worth. 500 million, half a billion dollars just on Resident Evil 7. Again, a single player, tight focused experience. And then Breath of the Wild. Now, we don't know the exact budget, but what culture reported that Nintendo said that Breath of the Wild would need to sell 2 million copies to break even. They've actually sold, according to what culture, as of August last year, 5 million copies, around $300 million. Now, for a single platform game that is astonishing for a single platform game in the year of its launch that is phenomenal 300 million dollars so let's do let's add those up together the best part of a billion dollars that are made in single player games and here's why there is a massive market a massive audience of people who simply cannot commit to being online and cannot use their gaming time to wait for people in lobbies or to group up with people online and i'm not saying these are casual gamers what i'm saying is these people that have other things they need to do they're people like me who are parents they're people who have jobs that work odd hours or that have other commitments in their life that people that can't just sit down and say i'm going to game for the next five or six hours and those sort of people they need that experience where they can sit there and say well i've got 30 minutes i'm going to do something and it might be a side quest it might be a main mission it might be hunting it might be a level whatever it is but they need to be able to say actually i'm going to sit down and i'm going to play this game now on my own and i don't need to wait for anybody I don't need to group up. I don't need to entrust my gaming time to other people. And certainly with, I think, a growth in online trolls and people who go online and play games for the sole purpose of ruining other people's experiences, I think it's really prudent of people to say, well, actually, I want to entrust my gaming time to me. On top of that as well, I think people are looking for that narrative experience. They're looking for that story. They're looking for that thing that hits them, that thing that really touches you emotionally and that makes a difference to your day and leaves you thinking and leaves you asking questions. And I think people are looking for those experiences that challenge you, either challenge your gaming ability, challenge your thoughts, challenge your emotions, challenge your opinions. I think people are approaching games as a consumer in a more informed way and are seeing it as a way that actually they can say well this is the art that I love to consume and being able to pick up a game and show somebody and say to somebody this is the game I am loving at the moment you know it not just being shoot people as many times as you can and so single player games are where you can do that in a multiplayer experience everyone's got to be involved at all times otherwise it falls apart whereas a single player it can be quiet it can be nuanced and I'm not saying multiplayer can't do that but that can't be the main experience in a multiplayer in a single player you can give that one person that focused 
experience. And that's why single player games aren't going to go away. Now, I was one of the people at the start of the year who was worried. I was looking at the slate of games due to come out and I was thinking, how many of these are going to have multiplayer components? How many of these are going to get blown away by some of the multiplayer based games coming out? And so I was absolutely over the moon when at the end of the year I looked back and I thought, actually, these games have done so well. These games have really performed. And yeah, there are some outstanding multiplayer-focused games this year, but I think the single-player experiences still outnumber them. I think the single-player experiences are still a better game for people who don't have that commitment time, who can't sit down and give three, four hours to a game at a time. And that market, that set of consumers is growing because as the generation of people who grew up with games consoles get to a point in their life where they have other commitments, then they're going to want these games, they're going to want these single player experiences, they're going to want to be valued as gamers, and that's what single player games do, they value your time, they give you a premium for what you've paid for and for your gaming time, they give you that faith back that you put into them, you say, I'm going to play you and I'm going to get out of you something brilliant. And single player games, I think in 2017, did that. they gave that back, they said yes, we value your time. We respect your time. And a multiplayer game doesn't necessarily do that. A multiplayer game wants you to be playing for a long amount of time so that you can get that shared social experience, which is great, but it's not always what you want. And sometimes it's not what you can have just because of your other commitments in life. So it's very clear from this story and from the figures that we're looking at and also the slate of games scheduled to come out this year that single player games aren't going anywhere. And so if anyone says to you, single-player games, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're out now, they're, they're, they're dying off, you can say, no, they're absolutely not, and here's why. So hopefully 2018, we're going to have another fantastic slate of single-player games. I'm really looking forward to going through some games like Spider-Man, God of War, seeing what the Nintendo Switch has to offer as well. I think 2018 will, will double down on this idea that single-player games and multiplayer games can coexist because they are very, very different experiences. And finally, new story number four, and that is that Star Wars Battlefront 2, which came out towards the end of the year, sold roughly half of what Battlefront 1 sold. And a lot of the blame for that is going at the use of loot boxes and microtransactions as a key progression system in the game. In 2017, loot boxes and microtransactions were definitely a huge talking point. They became a key element in gaming. They came to the forefront in the market. And Star Wars Battlefront 2, according to a lot of analysts and myself and the consumer, felt that it went a little too far. So let's just do a quick summary for those that aren't 100% sure what happened. Star Wars Battlefront 2 came out, but before it came out, there was a beta. And in the beta, it became very clear that progression in the game relied on you earning loot crates now you could do that in the game by playing matches winning losing doing things capturing objectives and you could earn currency for that in game which you could then buy loot boxes with the loot boxes rewarded you with new characters customization options weapons uh, abilities perks and that's how you gain those things through the loot box system. The problem was that that was the core progression system and it was also tied to microtransactions. You could pay money to get loot boxes. So you could pay money to get the things that allowed to progress. So on day one, there was immediately a massive gap between those that wanted to earn the loot boxes with the in-game currency and those that are willing to put another £50 into the game to get a massive selection of loot boxes. And then from game one, there was a massive disparity. Essentially, it became pay to win. It was a AAA major release game that was pay to win. And although there'll be lots of arguments that that's not the case, actually, when you strip it back down to what it is, that 
is exactly what the problem was. I could buy the game, give another £50 and have immediately better equipment than you and it would give me an advantage over you in the game if you weren't willing to do the same thing if you weren't willing to give EA more money you were at a disadvantage to somebody who was and that was the problem that's why Stars Battlefront 2 performed so poorly it wasn't the only game this year to do that but it did it in such a blatant such a brazen way that people kicked back there was a backlash to it and it didn't sell very well did it sell well enough for what they wanted I don't know but what I know is it didn't sell as well as the first game and the key difference is that loot crate system being used as a progression tool now I'm a big fan of overwatch and a key element of overwatch is the loot crate system you level up get a loot crate the difference was or difference is that in overwatch those loot crate rewards are cosmetic they don't affect your game they don't affect the gameplay their voice lines and skins and sprays and player icons they don't affect how you play. So it doesn't matter if I have just started or if I've been playing for a while or if I've decided I want to give £100 to, to the system. My character will play the same as anybody else. It comes down purely to my skill as a player. And I think for me, that's where loot crates need to be. They need to be that optional extra that doesn't impact gameplay. What Star Wars Battlefront 2 is guilty of is tying loot crates and microtransactions to progression. They made it unfair, they made it a pay to win system. The other issue that came in with all of the loot crates and the microtransactions was this element of gambling. And was it gambling? And a lot of governments across the, the world have had their say now and said that no, it's not gambling. But I actually want to make an issue, I want to disagree with them. I think it is gambling. And actually strip it back to what it is. I give you £5, you're going to give me three loot boxes. In there, there might be stuff I want, or there might be stuff I don't want. There might be stuff I've already got. There might be stuff that's no use to me. So I'm gambling on there being something in those loot boxes that I want. And the key issue there is that the gaming market, and especially the games that were perhaps guilty of it the most, were aimed at a younger perhaps audience than might be expected from a gambling experience especially games like star wars you know exactly who the market is for star wars it, it's a massive variety of people it's not a small group of adults who want that that nostalgia it's a new audience of younger people people that are going to be below 18 and they're gambling they're buying boxes in the hope that something in there is good and that something in there is what they want i think 2017 was a warning year and it's happened before in gaming there's always trends that crop up and then they get kicked back down because they don't work or there's a problem. And I think gaming needs to remember 2017 as that warning year. It was the year where people started to ask, does there need to be a, a, a watchdog here? Does there need to be an overviewing body? Does there need to be some sort of ombudsman to check whether games are playing by the rules? Or are they misleading people? Are they putting people into a dangerous situation? Are they unfair? I think the other element that EA was guilty of with Star Wars Battlefront 2 is that they didn't consider the fact that as I've said before in this podcast, the consumer is more informed now. If this had been 10, 15 years ago, then maybe they'd have got away with it. People wouldn't have known that the game had this system in it, but that's not the case anymore. People know about these things, and what I do feel is a big impact, and I feel we'll see this in 2018, I think games will be much more wary of how they use loot boxes because of Star Wars Battlefront 2. Now, I want to sing some praise for it because I think I've been a bit down on it, the single player mode is really good fun and the multiplayer is really good fun. I can't knock that. But when your progression system allows somebody to pay a lot of money to be better than me, and I do mean that, the system, the starting weapons and the starting equipment that you have in a one-on-one -on -one fight with somebody of a similar skill, if they've bought 
loot boxes and, and therefore earn better equipment than me, although they might have only played the same amount of time as me, I can't compete with them. They will take me down. So what I'm hoping is that in 2018, companies will be much more wary of loot boxes and microtransactions. And we'll bear in mind the fact that they're putting them into a product which I'm already paying 45, 50, 55, 60 pounds for. If they want me to give them more money, they need to lower the price of the, the game. Or they just need to be really honest about it and say, well, this is what the game is. I do believe that in 2018, we will see fewer microtransactions in AAA games or the microtransactions that we do see will be much more clearly telegraphed before the game comes out. I don't believe the discussion is over, I don't think it's finished, but to summarise my view on it and my opinion and my take on it, if it's something cosmetic, if it's something that doesn't impact gameplay, then you can do what you want. If you want to charge 50p for a hat, you do that. Do not, however, start putting pay-to-win systems into AAA, even indie games, where I'm paying you money for that game. I don't want to have to give you more money. If you create a great game and you earn my money and I want to give you that money, then fair enough. And that is what has happened with things like Overwatch. I've bought loot boxes in Overwatch because I love that game and because they've earned that money. But what you can't do is expect me to give you that money. And you can't make a system that is so unfair and so unbalanced that I have to give you that money. I feel that's a really insidious approach and a really disrespectful approach from publishers. So I do feel that 2017 will be the year where publishers look and they realise, no, the tide is turning, we've pushed it too far, we need to cut it back. That's it. That's the first ever Game or Not monthly podcast finished, all four news stories of 2017 covered and discussed. Thank you so much for listening. It's massively appreciated. If you want to give us any feedback, if you've got any questions, or if there's anything you want to see covered on the next podcast, you can send any emails to gameornaught at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at gameornaught, Facebook search for gameornaught, twitch.tv slash gameornaught. You can find us on SoundCloud by searching gameornaught. Hopefully this will also be going up onto iTunes, so search for gameornaught. If you've listened and you've enjoyed, please share it with people. Please rate it on whatever platform you choose to take it from SoundCloud iTunes it makes a big difference it means that more people can get to hear me more people can get the feedback and we can build that better game or not community if you have enjoyed listening and you do want to help us out we do have a patreon you can go to patreon.com slash game or not and you can support us there from just one dollar a month 76p roughly a month and that money comes to us and then we can use that money to help build game or not and develop game or not a bit more it would be massively appreciated if you could do that if you can't no problem more than happy to have you here listening that's the kind of community i want but if you can offer that one dollar a month if you can afford that that would be hugely appreciated thank you very much for listening and until next month's game or not monthly podcast see you soon